The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go Beyond Reality. Welcome to the program. It's Beyond Reality, and I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. Thanks for being with us tonight. We've got a good show for you. Chuck Bergman will be joining us. He's a psychic cop. He worked for 32 years as a cop. He's been psychic all of his life. And those two worlds work together sometimes, and they conflicted at other times. And we're going to get his experiences straight from uh, his version of things uh, when we bring him on the program in just a little bit. Looking forward to this conversation, of course. Um, just a couple of reminders. I want to make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. Go to YouTube and search for JV Johnson, and you will find the channel pretty easily. We've got about 500, maybe 600. I don't know. The count is weird to me, but we've got a lot of back episodes there available to you for your viewing and listening pleasure. There's no charge to subscribe, obviously. Just go to YouTube and subscribe. And also click the notification icon. That way you'll be notified when we put bonus content up or when we stream live like we're doing now. Welcome to everybody in our chat room, by the way. Always great to have all of you along with us. One more thing I'll ask you to do is find us on Facebook and like that page as well. Beyond Reality Radio or and J.V. Johnson. Both of those um, are great to go to. A lot of great information. We keep you up to date as to what's going on with the show and what else we're up to. You know, if we're making appearances, whatever it happens to be. So again, tonight we'll be talking with Chuck Bergman. He is a retired police officer, also a psychic. And we are going to see how those two worlds complemented each other. Or maybe they didn't. Maybe they were at odds with each other. Either way, it's going to be a great show right here on Beyond Reality. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash johaw. That's J-O-H-A-W. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chuck Bergman is an author, a psychic medium, and a retired police officer. He's had the ability to communicate with the spirit world since childhood. He's been profiled on the A&E Network, Biography Channel, and many other TV channels, as well as being a frequent guest on many radio shows. In addition to giving individual readings and hosting group forums, Chuck has assisted numerous law enforcement agencies across the country in their ongoing investigations. Chuck, welcome to Beyond Reality. It's great to have you here. Real honor. Really looking forward to this uh, evening, JV. Nice to meet you. And I know that you're you're a veteran of the Navy, and the first thing I'd like to do is thank you for your service. Um, it's certainly appreciated and often uh, not recognized, but we'd like to recognize it here. I appreciate that, and thank you very much. So um, you're a, you were uh, a cop for 32 years, uh, but you've been a psychic all your life. Tell us how these sensitivities first came to your attention, you recognized what was going on. What was going on in your life at the time, and how did you recognize it? Yeah, for me, it was funny. It started at a very early age, probably, I, I don't know, five, six years old. I've told the story many times because it's so unusual where, you know, five, six years old, I was playing in the backyard of my house uh, in Florida where, you know, I'm playing alone, and I had this dream. I don't know why. I wanted to be one of the uh, safety boys or patrol boys, whatever they call it, you know, in the part of the country that you're in. And this is where they put the little uniform on you, and you have a, 
uh, flag on a pole and you cross the children in the morning, you know, on their way to school. And I wanted to do, we called them patrol boys here in Florida, and you had a little strap over your shoulder with a badge on it, and uh, I, you know, I just wanted to do that as a child. And what happened was uh, one day I, I made my own little uniform and tacked a little red flag onto a wooden pole and pretended I was letting little kids cross, you know, our driveway <laughs> and stuff like that. When all of a sudden I, I said, oh, I need the badge. So I went in the house and made one out of aluminum foil and did the best I could to put, put it on the strap that I was wearing over my shoulder, and it kept falling off. You know, being a small kid, you, you know, you get a little upset. I started to cry a little. And being the only one in the yard, the only person around, I heard a man's voice speak to me and say, it's okay, Chuck, don't cry. One day you'll be wearing a real badge. And I remember looking up to heaven, looking around, wow. and, th- and there was no one around to acknowledge, you know, like, there's no one here. So I bolted into the house, told my mom about it. And my mom, I had no idea until after she passed away that she too was a medium. And her mom was a medium, and I didn't know that either. Uh, and they didn't want me doing this. You know, they had a sister. My mom's sister was, this is back in England now where she grew up, was hearing voices and seeing apparitions, and they didn't know what to do with her, so they put her in an insane asylum. And my mom was afraid that that would happen to me if I'm hearing voices and seeing things. So for that part of my life, she squashed it, you know, like, oh, it's your imagination. All little kids hear voices like that. It's nothing. Don't worry about it. But I do remember her right after that, running out to the backyard and looking over the fence, seeing if there was anyone around that could have said something to me, you know, and obviously there wasn't. So I would have to say I had a couple minor incidents like that. And it went away, and it wasn't until I was probably about 30, 32 years old when the decision was made, I guess it's time for Chuck to start using this ability. And sure enough, uh, even though I was on the police department, I was married, had two children, everything was like a, what you'd call a normal lifestyle. Right. And man, just I started hearing little voices a, a little, but then I would start knowing when people would die, and I'd be right exact on it. So in other words, I'd be at work. I would know that someone, either an uncle or whatever, had passed away during that shift that I'm working on the police you know, department. I would go home and learn that it was true, that they did pass away. So when I happened to see their face and get a little message or whatever, I found out, well, wow, it was accurate. You know, how would I know? Because back then we didn't have text messages, cell phones, and stuff right. like that. So I got to admit, it pretty well grew from there. I decided to start uh, reading books and uh, going to meditation class, and I went to uh, several places in the downtown area. One one point you didn't bring up, JV. I I was a cop in Salem, Massachusetts, which is uh, known <laughs> known as the Witch City. Uh, in fact, our arm patch, he's made, to this day, has a witch on a broomstick for the police arm patch. Oh wow! And that's the logo on the uh, the side of the cruiser as well. So, you know, the tourists love it. it it's kind of like a definitely a tourist town, but the uh, the logo, the uh, the whole witch trials and all that stuff played a role in it. And I still wonder, like, how the heck I grew up in Florida, ended up going into the Navy, getting out of the Navy, 
and staying in Salem, Massachusetts, of all places, you know, and this is before I was using any of the uh, the abilities that I had because I didn't know I had them. Right. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the, the, I can't remember what you call them, the safety boys. What, what, what was the name for the, the safety patrol that you had? I think we called them just patrol boys, patrol boys down here. Yeah. We had, we had them, too, here in upstate New York, and they were called safety patrol uh, I'm, I'm not sure if we called them officers. I don't remember, but safety patrol. And I remember wanting to be, and I, I ended up being on the safety patrol. Oh, darn but it, I didn't, I I didn't wanted, make it. I wanted to be so badly, as soon as I became aware of them, something about that authority seemed, really appealed to me. <laughs> and, um, maybe that's maybe, maybe we, that's what it was. Then when you see them in the morning, you know, those poor guys had to... Yeah. They made you stand with the flag out that, at a certain angle and yeah. your, your left arm behind your back and... Parade rest or whatever they yeah, call it. Yeah, you know, it, you we, know? Didn't, we didn't have flags. We just said we put our arms out to stop kids from crossing the street, and then when it was safe, we put our arms down, and we had a sash, like a, a belt sash with a badge yes, on it. Yes, that was the Man. belt that I was trying to put the badge on, yeah. Wow, I was so proud of that. So I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about right now, and it makes me chuckle remembering all that. Um, uh, but as a kid, when you, you you did a pretty good job of explaining that first experience you had where you heard a voice. Um, and you said it didn't happen a whole lot uh, as throughout your childhood, but it had, what happened sporadically. Did it scare you at all? Were you, was there any point where you were afraid of what you were I hearing? A, you know, a good question. As as a child, I would seem like you know there were six children in the family: four boys, two girls, and you know the boys had one bedroom, all four of us, and we had you know two sets of bunk beds. So you know it was always uh, problems going on, like. If I'm on the top bunk, my older brother would be on the uh, the bottom bunk, and just as I'm almost asleep, his arm would come up the side of the bunk bed and hover over my face until I notice it. You know, we were always trying to scare each <laughs> yeah. other in that room. So, yeah, couple yeah, couple of that with I, I swear there were times when I'm looking in an empty closet and seeing movement, shadows, stuff like that. And there there was one incident that really really led to to all of this starting to unfold as a little boy. And that's when my grandmother came to visit from England, and it was her first night. Mom and Dad took advantage of, you know, Grandma there to babysit, so they went out for the evening. And, you know, we, the boys went to bed, and uh, at one point I woke up screaming, and my grandmother came in and then took me by the hand, took me into the living room. And she was really smart about the way she did it, too. She sat me down and said, I remember the Late Show was coming on, um, and we're watching the TikTok and all this stuff going back and forth. And she waited till the timing was right, and she said, Chuck, you woke up screaming. Why were you screaming? And I said, Grandma, all these people were standing around my bed staring at me, and they, they just kept looking at me. She said, oh, okay, and then she's, like, getting me into the movie a little bit. Then she leans over again and goes, how many were there? I said, there were five. Do you remember what they looked like? And when I described the people, she knew each one from England. Oh, wow. They, their their energy or their spirits had apparently followed my uh, grandmother, you know, on her trip. And uh, when I told her what they looked like, she knew them. And she actually said to me, she said, you have a very special gift. You'll use it when you're older. You won't use it now. But it's a very special gift, and use it wisely. And then she just she's very cute about 
peeling an apple and giving me a slice and saying, now, come on, we're going to watch the movie. Like, that was no big deal, you know? But, uh, yeah, that was kind of the start of all of this happening for me. Yeah, but Chuck, you said that you didn't realize your mother had the same sensitivities until after she passed. Is that true? Right. So you didn't didn't get a chance to talk about this with your mom? Not really, uh, other than I would... I remember when I went into the Navy, for instance, and uh, what happened was I had no intentions of joining the military, the Navy, and uh, one night I'm asleep, but in the in my sleep I saw myself standing in front of a building at attention with all these Navy guys, and I remember the um, the drill instructor walking up to me and screaming at me because that morning... I shaved, but I guess I missed a hair or something on my face. And in the dream, he was really, really mad at me. And it was somewhere in Florida, and I didn't know where I was at. It was really hot. The funny thing is, when I woke up, I was drenched in sweat. I went in and explained the entire image to my mom. And wouldn't you know, I would say about one month later, I was standing in front of the building Six o'clock in the morning, same drill instructor, right in my face, screaming at me because I didn't shave properly that morning. And uh, even then, when I wrote her a letter and said, Mom, remember I came into your room? I woke you up and we talked about it. It happened today. Well, she never got back to me. She did not really want me to pursue this or go down this path. So you think that her reluctance to talk to you about it was because she didn't want you doing the same thing? Was that what was on her mind? I I believe so, and I heard later, too, that from a couple of people that my mom would give readings to her closest friends only, and the agreement was, I'll give you the reading, but no, you know, don't tell anyone I did this. She Hmm. just, I don't know. Did she have a bad experience with it? You may not know. You may not know the answer to that, but do you suspect that? But i got to tell you, since she's passed, She's she's been my little angel, and when I need help during readings, she'll help me. Mm-hmm. She's um, she's even appeared for me several times. My older brother, who thought that I was absolutely nuts, you know, they're gone. You can't talk to them. They're dead. You know, it's like the <laughs> the ever ready bunny. When the battery's dead, the bunny stops. You know, that's the end of it. And I did a session with him where he got to mom touched him, kissed him, and. He said to this day he knows it was absolutely her and he could he could even feel her moving the hair on his head when she ran her fingers mm. through his hair. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's you know, you know she she's active from the other side but for some reason didn't want me doing this. So to, to help me understand the difference in your experiences between what we you would classify as uh, the experience of a medium, which I would consider be commu- getting communications from the other side, and your experience as a psychic, wh- what's the line between those two? Very blurry. I would say very blurry. <laughs> that's, a, you know, it's, that's a good way to put it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, it's sometimes I know things I shouldn't know. In fact, I, I'm not big on people that come up with these uh, premonitions and, you know, like the World Trade Center yeah. Uh, disaster and all of that, but you know, I had one the other day an email come in from a gentleman and I'll be, I do not remember giving him this reading, I remember the person and he said in the reading three years ago he said he lived in New York City and he said I went on a, a rampage with him saying 
get out, get out, get out. You can't live there any longer. Something bad's going to happen in three years' time. And that was three years ago. And look what's happening in New York right now. He did. He actually moved out, uh, him and his wife. And, you know, I, I'm kind of shocked that they wow. that they would take my say-so on something like that and just do it. But I don't remember saying it. I don't remember telling him that. When you give like a, said, when you give a reading for someone, do you kind of get it get trance like? Maybe do you get into a state where you might not always remember what you're saying? Only with certain parts, you know, because I had it again yesterday with a person, and then this is how weird the the statement was that I made to her. I said, you know, there's someone coming, you know, your way, you know, in a in a relationship situation, and you're going to know because. And I said, this is corny, but I know what I'm, I'm seeing and hearing. You'll be in your bedroom. You're going to hear a siren that's real loud coming from the street area or whatever. You're going to go over to close the window to, you know, deaden the noise. And then you're going to find out the window's already closed. And this is, you know, what I told her like several months ago. Mm-hmm. Well, she had just met a guy, had a dream about the guy. And when she woke up from the dream, she heard a siren really loud, went over to the... Uh, closed the window and the window was already closed exactly like i told her and she had recorded my session so oh wow the, you know to play it back and hear it word for word and there it is matching and it, it sounds kind of you know incidental doesn't matter or whatever but when she told me that you know about closing the window and the window's already closed the siren and all that i don't remember saying that to anyone ever so trance like is probably what was, what's going on to a point because usually I can remember every element of a reading. And it's at some point, you, you mentioned being 32 years old when you rediscovered these gifts. I'm not sure if that's exactly the way you put it. But so that implies that there was a period there from your childhood to be, being 32 that you either ignored them or you hid them or you didn't feel like you had them. What was going on in that period? Well, I was busy, you know. I just joined the police department, had a marriage, had a couple of children. It's like there wasn't time for this stuff. And then what happened was it was kind of an interesting story. I was up in Maine. We were Christmas shopping, the wife and I, and on the way home, out of nowhere, we're in heavy traffic. We're on our way back to Massachusetts. And I said, hey, what time is it? And she said, 2.30. And I didn't want to say it, but I had to. I just said, just remember I'm telling you that at 2.30, Someone we know passed away. It's an older lady, and it's not a family member. And by the way, she's got a message for you. She's saying, take the day off. Thank you anyway. Of course, my wife thought I was absolutely, absolutely nuts. So the way it happens, we continue our drive. We make it home. And there was only one message on her answering machine from her best friend that she worked with. And she said, hey, uh, when you and Chuck get home, I know you're up in Maine. When you get home, could you give me a call and maybe come over? Mom passed away a few minutes ago, and I've had to call. They're coming to remove her body, and I don't really want to be in the the house alone when this happens. Mm. And she hangs up her phone. But remember the good old days with the cassette tape? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you hear that beep (laughs) message received at 2.30 p.m. Oh, wow. (laughs) It's like, holy cow. And then I said, but, you know, it's funny. The message was, take the day off. Thank you anyway. And she looked at me and she said, oh, my God, tomorrow I was supposed to go sit with my friend's mom so she could go Christmas shopping. 
and now that she's passed over, she's saying, take the day off. I don't mm-hmm. need you. You know, thank you anyway. And what, I, what I'd like to bring up to anyone listening that one, one key element here is very, very, very important. When you, if you're breaking into this stuff new, start analyzing what these messages mean. And to me, that, had, that message was, was saying a lot. I couldn't understand how she could pass away 2.30 in the afternoon, leave her body, and then find me on Route 95 up in Maine in all the traffic on my way home and get a message so precise. To me, I mean, you know, it's kind of like mind-boggling. And, and why would she? You'd think that, you know, you just passed away, you left your body, you've got a lot of more important things to do than let me know that my wife is not needed tomorrow. She's going to find out. Yeah, right. But, you know, you, you got to, I, I like to analyze the messages and try and understand the, the role of the Spirit. Like, why do they do what they do? And it is, it's totally different from the logical reason, reasoning of a person. It's totally different. Yeah, now, this came out, that, that particular message, which kind of re-triggered everything for you, kind of came out of the blue? I mean, you weren't actively, you know, trying to sense things like this? It just just came out of the blue? Yeah, I'll be honest, at that point, um, I would say uh, a few weeks earlier, I was up at a ski lodge with a few of the guys that I work with, and we went out the night before partying like you do, you have to do up there, it's mandatory. So the next day, we're all hungover, and we're having our breakfast, and we were watching something on TV. I think it was Sally Jesse Raphael, and a little striker came on the lower uh, panel said, up next, James Van Prague claims he can talk to the dead, question mark, question mark, question mark. Right. Just to show you where I'm at, this is like a month before you know, the thing happened in the car with me. And I broke out laughing. I said, don't change the channel, anyone. i got to see this. <laughs> and I, I do it jokingly, but I even use the word fruitcake. I said, this fruitcake thinks he can talk to the dead. That's where I was at with this stuff. Wow. I didn't think it was real. I didn't think it was possible. And you just, what, just discounted your experience as a, as a kid at that point? I did. I mm-hmm. did. Mm-hmm. Probably from my mom's influence and even my dad telling me that, no, 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 you can't, it's not possible, and it's your imagination and all of that, you know? So I think it worked for a while, and then all of a sudden when it's all happening again. And by the way, James Van Prague did come on after the break and blew our doors off. He was really, really, really good. That uh, that probably changed some of your opinion anyway. It did, and a couple of guys in there, it's funny, it was 50-50. Some of the guys were like, wow, that's, that's pretty amazing. And then the other half is coming up with reasons how he cheated, you know? Right. Well, he probably did this, he did that, you know, or, you know, what lucky do you, yes. Or, what do you say to people who say, man, what you're doing can't isn't possible? What do you say to those folks? I get a lot, and I, I just, the people that do that with me, I, I just say, well, I was in your shoes at one point, and it's almost like growing. I said, if you're even questioning it right now, then that's going to—that's telling me that with time you'll probably find out that it is for real. But it's almost like you're in kindergarten, and I'm the professor right now, so I'm not going to argue with you because you're not going to listen. So I, I just kind of let it go. You know, I'm not going to—and you can't prove it. Right. It's all—it's like right now, if you said to me, you know, tell me something about my dad. What color was his hair? 
It doesn't work that way. You know, it just doesn't work that way. We're talking with Chuck Bergman tonight. He is the psychic cop, and his website is his name, chuckbergman.com. If you're listening to the podcast version of your of the show, we thank you for doing that as well. And uh, hope that you share the links to the podcast with your friends, your family, on your social media, whatever it happens to be. Of course, the show is available on all major podcast distribution points, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and others. Spotify as well many others so anyway thanks for being here chuck bergman is our guest tonight he's a psychic cop um he's written a couple books one is called the psychic cop the other is the everything guide of evidence of an afterlife we're going to talk about that and more with chuck but before we get back into the topic at hand chuck i want to ask you a question about um the fact that you while you were in the navy i see you spent some time on some aircraft carriers and we've heard you know reports of the coronavirus uh, hitting uh a couple Navy vessels, particularly an aircraft carrier, pretty hard. Can you give us a sense of what life was like on an aircraft carrier in just a couple minutes here? We can get a feel for what those people are going through. Yeah, all of it is um, you'll never be six feet away from a person. They, You know, typically there's 5,000 men or more on the uh, carrier. Uh, even the, the bunking quarters, there might be one, two, three tiers of uh, bunk beds. And then you can reach over and grab the row next to you. They're that close together. So you're sleeping that close together. You're eating on on the mess decks right on top of each other. Um, most of the things you do, you're, you know, I'm not going to say you're crammed in tight, but it's the the odds of spreading a, a germ like that is, is going to happen. You know, that, that that's, I can't, I can't think of a better breeding ground, plus, Typically, they're they're rather warm because of the uh, the, the you know the motor generated it's a lot of heat and it's stale air so to speak. So I, I could just see that being a nesting place for any virus. Yeah, it's a bit scary in in, in those terms. And I also in, in, you know just the idea that an entire. Uh, weapon of the U.S. Navy, which you know an aircraft carrier is probably the most potent weapon the Navy possesses. Um, you know, talk about a scary scenario where a, a weapon like that could be put out of commission because of an illness. That, that that idea is pretty scary, too. It really is. It really is. But what a way to take it down. Yeah. You don't have to sink it. You just put the crew. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, it's <laughs> scary. the crew. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very scary. Anyway, uh, thanks for sharing that with us. Um, you became a cop at what point in your life? How old were you when that happened? I want to say it was right around... 21, 20, 21, right at, the, right at that age. Okay, and at that point, again, you were still in your uh, the period of, I don't know what we'll call it, maybe denial of your uh, your sensitivities and your other gifts, uh, and you approached uh, being a police officer, probably like uh, you know many do, very, very seriously and very pragmatically, I would imagine. I was, other than I had it in the back of my head what that voice had told me when I was so young that one day you'll be wearing a real badge. And, you know, that that was exactly what he said to me when I was trying to pin the fake aluminum badge onto my shoulder strap. And he says, one day you'll be wearing a real badge. You know, don't cry. Right. And then, you know, it's it's all happening. You know, I'm, I'm getting ready to get sworn in. And I'm going to admit, you know, the one, one hard part about it is I knew a, a lot of people in Salem who grew up in Salem. And, you know, their parents are either city council or on the police department or fire department or whatever. And even when I took the civil service exam, I was told, 
well, who's your connection? Who's going to get you on? I only had family down in Florida. I said, I don't know. He said, no one. And uh, I was lucky I still made it through the hurdles and, you know, still got on the department. And it's like it was meant to be is what I'm trying to say with that. It's like I was supposed to, you know, do that job, and I was supposed to do it in Salem. And I don't know why Salem. How did you end up in Salem? Well, the the ship I was on, it was you know, I joined the Navy, and I was here in Florida. I go to boot camp in Orlando, of all places, right down the street. And um, after boot camp, I get stationed to Mayport, Florida, which was a 15-minute ride from there to my house. Wow. So, you know, it's like, okay. And then we go to Vietnam. We do all of that. And on, when we come back, they were going to uh, decommission. I was on the Shangri-La aircraft carrier, and they were going to decommission it in Boston. So I ended up in Boston. That's when I met my, uh, you know, had a girlfriend later to become my wife and had children and uh, had made up my mind once I'm out, I'm going to stay up here for a while. And, you know, she was a a nurse at the Salem Hospital, and I got on the police department. So it was kind of cool. It was, you know, everything just worked out very easily kind of almost like it was destined it really was yes Hmm. um talk about that period between becoming a police officer 21 years old to the point where you had the epiphany and started to recognize these gifts again at 32 during your police work in those years did you ever in retrospect have experiences that you can now look back at on and say oh yeah i was getting some guidance there that i didn't recognize was happening at the time Almost daily, yes. Oh, really? It was that common? So, similar, yeah, similar to a deja vu. I would even be in my uh, cruiser, like, you know, just picked up a coffee, and I'm heading to one area to maybe sit and just sip on my coffee and watch traffic flow or whatever, and something in my head, or I'd see an image, and it would send me to a different part of the town, and I would see a car accident or something going on, and I would say, well, let me just slide over to that area. And, man, within minutes, I'd get the call, you know, car accident, and it would, the image would, would the image that I saw would match what I'm then pulling up to. It was, it was weird, and I, but I didn't understand it. I thought, that's what, I thought it, everyone called that deja vu at the time, you yeah, know, so I right. thought, wow, I'm really in tune to that stuff, and I didn't know why. Did you think, um, uh, do you now, in retrospect, think that when people do have deja vu experiences, that that's what they're really experiencing, what you just described? I think so, yeah. I mean, you're usually seeing things that are about to happen or they're in the future, and you seem to have a lot of detail, a lot of information on it. And I think some people like do what I did where, yeah, okay, I got that that little video clip or whatever you want to call it, but you don't exercise your brain. You don't make that happen more often. You know, and that, that's what I did with the classes that I went to. You know, I went to meditation classes, then I went to mediumship classes, and just kind of kept working on it and developing it. You were doing that when? During this? I would say I was doing that probably about five or six years after, after the initial blow, like, you know, and then trying to figure out what is all this. So after you had the experience where the voice came to you um, talking about the woman who passed away? Mm-hmm. Okay, so was that, so that happened, if I remember the timeline correctly, that happened to you when you were 32? Yeah, right around that age. Right yeah. around there, okay. 
And so it was after that experience that you started to look into this more deeply and actually try to get some um, guidance and training so you could understand and actually improve uh, these abilities and these skills. Absolutely. I mean, I was, I was fascinated that it was even possible. But, you know, it, I've always been that way. I mean, I remember when the VIC-20 computer came out and the Commodore 64. <laughs> I had a VIC-20, too. I had a VIC-20, my first well, computer, yeah. I remember going to the store, and I think the uh, Commodore 64 was on the shelf next to it. Oh, what a big machine that one was. Oh, and to me, I said, i got to own that. Yeah. I, I took it home, no idea what I was going to do with it. But when I was done, I I'd actually had it printing out checks that I could write and, and do real quick, kind of like Quicken. Uh-huh. I, I learned how to program. I learned how to, uh, I even wrote, I was uh, involved as a fatal accident reconstructionist. So, you know, if there was a fatal accident, we would figure out the drag factor of a street and how fast the car would have to travel to leave a certain amount of skid marks and uh, I actually wrote a program that for the Commodore 64 that would handle all the uh, math work for that and then give you this beautiful printout explaining every step, every math step oh, that wow. was taken. Wow. And, and, nothing like it. That. And, and, for, and for people who aren't familiar with these, what we would call very primitive computers, very primitive personal computers, when you wrote a program for it, it was all in uh, in, in basic language, which was, yeah. you know, it's nothing <laughs> like we're, we're, we're doing today. I wrote some programs for the VIC-20. I was just a little kid at the time and just <laughs> fascinated with computers. Um yeah, so I remember, but I remember that very well. And I remember getting the VIC twenty, which was the the little sister to the Commodore sixty four. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> so funny to think back on it. And, and, I'm, I'm, and, and I'm bringing that up because on the same idea, when I started discovering that wow, you can communicate with the other side, that was like my new Commodore sixty four. It was like, yeah, this this is new to me. I want to know all I can learn. I I, I was blown away by it. I was very very fascinated. Yeah, and those and those computers, and this is way off topic, but I get a kick out of it. Those computers, when you wrote a program or something, you had to store it on a cassette tape. Yes, you had to, you had to, and yet, and that was a process unto itself. You had to have the right volume so it would record properly. It's very bizarre. And you <laughs> may not ever get it back again. That's either, true. So. That's true. <laughs> that was part of it. So during those years of you know between twenty one and thirty two, you're on the police force. You're having these deja vu incidents that you now look back on as as your sensitivities kind of fighting to come through. Did you ever share that any of that with uh, with uh, some of your fellow officers? Oh, great question. It, it, some of it I did, but what happened was the very first incident um, where with the lady, you know, and, and the 2.30 and the message for my wife and everything, I was so disappointed because I thought, wow, that was amazing that I could see her, hear her, and the information was accurate, and we pretty well proved it when we got home. But yet, you know, a few days later when we're around my wife's friends, if the topic was brought up at all, it's like, I'm nuts. Right. Like, that didn't happen or whatever. You know, they just kind of danced around it because they couldn't grasp it. They couldn't understand it. And it was like a wake-up call for me. Like, you know, a lot of people don't get this. But I did have one partner on the police department who uh, I would go in the morning with my cup of coffee and would usually go into his office, close the door, and I would tell him all about my meditation class or mediumship class. And it seemed like... I would always bounce it off him and ask him what he thought, and um, I assume he never got bored with it because we do, you know, for a year straight, we'd go in at least probably every other day and talk about the classes that I had enjoyed and 
and the weird stuff that would come through, not only from me, but from other people doing, you know, the same kind of contact. Most law enforcement officers, I would assume, um, even to this day, although I do think attitudes are changing a little bit, um, but most of them would, would look at this and just, you know, kind of call it wacky. It's all yeah. about it's all about evidence. It's all about, you know, when you get into the investigation part, it's all about evidence, all about very pragmatic, almost scientific in a way. Um, that must have been a bit of a conflict for you. It still is. It really is. It still is. And you got to wonder, like, I don't see the top mediums out there finding these missing children or right. or solving crimes. They, they won't get involved with the police. And there must be a reason for that. I've done it with a lot of cases that were, I knew going into it, I could probably get in, you know, national, uh, what's the right word, disgraced nationally because I get it wrong, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a tough thing to work with police departments. Even with my background, it's still tough. It's still hard. Yeah, do you think that's true, that there is a bit of a changing of attitude, maybe a softening of this particular Absolutely. stance? Absolutely, yeah. I get, I get several that will work with me with the agreement that no one knows that they're working with me. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, behind the scenes, and, and then they'll check out whatever I give them, and and basically they walk away with the, what they call the caller. They'll walk away, you know, they're the ones that solved the, the case, even though right. they had no idea. Right. So, you know, that's just part of the way it is. I'm in it more to help the families, though. It's like if I can help the family and maybe find a missing son or daughter or um, and not know, you know, in some cases, the, my number one priority would be to sit with them and say, if I can connect with your loved one, your child, then I'm going to try and prove if I do that, then they are on the other side. If everything I give you is incorrect, then we, it's good news. They're probably still alive somewhere. Right, and you know we can't connect with them, but typically, I mean, I've, I've even done readings for over Skype with police departments in other countries, where I've walked them right to where the body is. Oh wow! And this is this is places I've never been before, but I'll see it. They'll get they'll give me good descriptions. I'll get um, <clears throat> unbelievable information, and typically when I work on one of these cases. We have the body usually within 48 hours. And most of the ones I work on, the body, you know, it's been a six, eight month or two year. Yeah. No, no body and not even sure if the person's dead or alive. So, you know, it seems, it, it, it seems like all it would take is one case like that with a successful outcome I know. that everybody's attitude would change. I know, I know. But it doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. It doesn't. I did. I did one from. I'm here in Florida. And I did one over the phone for California, where they'd been searching for a young man for eight months with uh, police dogs, helicopters, uh, the media, you name it. And finally, everyone kind of gave up after eight months. And the family heard about me or whatever, gave me a call. And on that night, that evening, I said, "The only thing I'm going to help you with is I'm going to try and." Just determine whether your son is dead or alive. If I can connect with him and see him or hear him, then we'll know he's passed over. And it was within two or three minutes of talking to them, I said, I said I'm seeing kind of like bloody fingers climbing rocks. Like, you know, was your son an avid rock climber? And then the dad said, oh, my God, that's all he did in his spare time. Yes. 
And those are the validations I'm looking for. And, you know, I'm not going to get into the whole story, but at one point I said to them, um, he's, I'm sitting inside of an old pickup truck. It's green. It's a Chevrolet. And something about the mileage is 159 miles at zero to zero degrees. Does that mean anything? So we they plotted it out on a map from their house, which all I know is California. I said, so go north from your house, zero to zero degrees, 159 miles, put an X. Your son is telling me that's where you're going to find his pickup truck, and his body is next to it. JV, 24 hours later, they've got the truck, and the body is next to it. This is after wow. searching for eight months. And you're right. That should have made, like, national, Yeah, you know, na- you know like... It should have been made to have national attention. However, a couple of folks in our chat room uh, bring up a really good point about this. What happens at the court? If 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 a, uh, a prosecutor came into a courtroom and said this person's guilty, and we know because a psychic led us to the body, uh, what does that do to the court case? Uh, not guilty. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? And no matter how good you are, so you got to have the facts to go along with it. You know, in that case, they they were able to send a helicopter because you couldn't reach that area any other way, and they spotted the truck, and then they had to go up in on uh, ATVs. And they found the truck and the body next to it. And then they began their investigation to see if it was foul play or not. So, which I, I already had told them what I knew it was, which later did line up with what, you know, were the circumstances with their son. But it is it is a tough one for court. But there's nothing wrong too with going into court and just saying we were given information by a third party and we checked it out and found it to be true. Yeah. And he he just happens to be a well-known psychic medium or. She or you know it does it just doesn't matter. I mean they can still use that information as long as it did pan out to be correct. Has have you ever had to testify in court based on your psychic uh, visions or whatever it happens to be? I have not. No, and it's funny. I've got a two judges that call me all the time that I'm friendly with that have retired like I have, and uh, they're saying now that because I'll give them personal stuff even, and they're both saying, "Wow, if you were." If you were ever brought into my courtroom, I'd put you on the stand. <laughs> what, how, uh, how long have you been in, back in Florida? Uh, Fifteen years now. Fifteen years. Does that put you over the uh, into the Casey Anthony situation? Oh, yeah. I remember when that was going on, yes. Did you do any anything just on your own work with that? I'm trying to remember what years that was. It was, it was I don't know. It wasn't that long ago, actually. It wasn't that long ago, but it, yeah, I remember when all that was going on. I try and keep away because I had a bad experience with with one locally that I I just did a an amazing job with a, a seven year old girl that was murdered and Ooh. the sad part is I I went to the home where the mom was and the girl had only been missing for one day at that point and I gave her all this information but very specific stuff about a couple of family members of hers that had passed away. And I'll just say the one because it was so bizarre. I said, I got a gentleman coming through. He claims he took his own life. He shot himself in the head with a small caliber pistol. Now, what a weird thing to say. And she said, Yeah, it was a 25 caliber. And because it was a small caliber, he lived for like two or three months. And, you know, everyone said, mm. what, You know, why didn't he just do it right? 
but she knew who it was right away. And this is in front of two detectives who are taking notes on everything. And I said to the, the mom, who we, did, we didn't know anything at that point, I said, she's over the line, over the state line into Georgia. They're telling me that you will be with her in three days' time. Uh, but we won't have the person responsible for at least six weeks, but he will be brought to justice. Everything I gave played out exact, exact, including things that happened with her daughter that past weekend with a library book that I should have no way of knowing about. And the mother told the whole story to the two detectives, and yeah, that's right. Everything played out, but the funny thing is they have the funeral. I didn't go to the funeral I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be too noticeable on something like that. So um, she, the mom is there, and the two detectives that witnessed the whole reading and everything, mom says to the detective, she said, can you believe it? Everything Chuck said was 100% accurate. And the detective looked up and said, no, we don't believe in that stuff. Oh, man. But yet, but yet he witnessed it. Right. <laughs> and everything, every word was totally accurate. I even knew which day they would find the body and that it wouldn't be in Florida. It would be over the line in Georgia, you know, over Route 95, other side, you know, in Georgia. Everything was right on the money. But it makes me wonder about intelligence here. Yeah, well, that's a whole I mean, other that's a whole other discussion, I think. I think it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I can't imagine it would be easy to resist the temptation to look at cases like I mentioned the Carolyn Anthony one um, that was yeah. high profile, uh, who's a Jean Benet Ramsey case. Oh um, God, I wish I could have gone to the house. You know, there are so many of these high profile cases that remain unsolved. Um, you can say that uh, you know um, the Anthony case was resolved because she was acquitted, but we still know there's more to that story. Absolutely. Um, you know, it must be really difficult not to want to get involved in those things. I, the ones I do get involved in, I, they, it's always been very positive, and I'm happy with the results in the end in a way. But it's like you said, there's no recognition for it. And not that I'm going to, I'm crying on anyone's shoulder about this, but, you know, at one point they wanted me to go and help with the FBI and a whole group of people. They were looking for, a, uh, I think, a 20 something year old hairdresser. And they made it very clear up front. We're not going to pay you. <laughs> I said, well, that's okay. I'll probably be the only person out there not getting a paycheck because I know the FBI guys aren't going to work for free <laughs> yeah. on their day off. Right. But, you know, it's, it's, that whole, it's that whole mentality that goes with it. It's okay if you help us and, and you solve the case, but we're not going to recognize you for doing it, and you're not going to get paid. And one story I've, I've told a, f- a few times, only because I, I still can't believe it, I had an offer to go from North Florida all the way down to Miami, and if I solved this one case for them, and you know, and I solve it, then they would pay for half of my fuel. Tonight we're talking with Chuck Bergman. We're talking with him about his books and his experiences as a police officer, but also a psychic medium. How do those two things work together? Do they work together, or do they work in conflict with each other? And we're going to get into some of that. Let's talk a little bit about how once you, uh, Chuck got over this hump. You were about 32 years old. You started to recognize your sensitivities again. You started to actually work to better control them or understand them. Uh, did you start employing those sensitivities in your uh, your day job, if you will, as a cop, uh, once you started to get a handle on them? 
It didn't. It really did make a difference. It's like you would understand things a lot better and kind of know why people were doing what they were doing, why they were doing it. And I didn't always get messages. You know, it would come in at certain times, but it seems like it was right. It was always the right timing, you know, when it did happen. And to me, it was the reward of giving a reading to someone. And I know when I give the reading, it's not me giving the information. It's definitely coming from a higher source. And they're using me as a tool. I know that. But just to be part of that chain is the best feeling you can ever imagine. Um, in fact, I remember when I almost, it was my very first meditation class. Someone talked me into going to the class. And when I did, um, you know, they go around the circle and uh, you'll tell about your experience. And all you do is you listen to music for probably 15, 20 minutes. So this is in a little shop up in Salem with all the little glass things hanging from the ceiling and little angels and a place you normally wouldn't find Chuck hanging out, but there I am in the middle of a circle <laughs> with all these women. And it was so funny because at the end of it, you know, after the music stopped, the uh, the instructor went around the room and said, okay, what did you see? What did you hear? And what did you take from your message? And I'm thinking, like, message? I didn't get any message. Why am I... Why am I even doing this? I just wasted one of my days off, you know. I wasn't that impressed with it. I was relaxed and everything felt good. And then when she came to me, she said, well, what did you get, Chuck? I looked around the room, and then I looked to the left of me, and there was an older lady to my left that I barely paid attention to. I said, would you mind standing up? And she did. And back then, this is way out of character for me. I gave her a hug. I said, the hug isn't for me. The hug is from Gail. Gail tells me that she died in a car accident at the age of 25, and as I see her, she's very thin, with long, brown, beautiful hair going down her back, all the way down her back. Very pretty girl, and uh, this isn't much, but i got to give you this message from her. She's saying, I will be there. And the woman started crying and hugged me. Oh, and, and by the way, she did say she died. I don't know if I said that, but she did die in a car accident mm. when she was 25. I don't know if I said that part of it. So anyway, the woman said that would be my daughter. Gail, my daughter, died in a car accident when she was 25 years old. She was a vegetarian, very thin, like you described, with long, brown, beautiful hair going all the way down her back. She said you described her perfectly. She said, I've never been to one of these circles. I've never tried this. This is my first time today. And the only reason someone talked me into it is I had a dream last week that my, you know, Gail, my daughter's, her daughter, you know, the granddaughter, is getting married next month. And in the dream, Gail said that she would be at the wedding. And for me to repeat those words, that she will be there, meaning she'll be at the wedding, it's like I didn't know how to interpret all that, and how could I get, you know, especially as a cop, you're going, you know, you could look at a uh, an armed robbery guy run by and later find out you were wrong on half of what you saw for clothing and shoes and stuff like that. But to hear to someone you don't even see, and yet you get everything exact, name and everything, that, that was, for me, uh, a pivotal point. It was like... Yeah. There's so much more to this than what I understand or know. And I remember even then, after, you know, listening to everyone else, I stepped out front, sat on a little bench, and I just watched people walking by, and it looked like they were holograms. It was like, 
I'm, I think that just changed my whole life. You know, as a police officer for the Salem, Massachusetts Police Department, you must, that must be, I would expect that having some type of sensitivities would almost be a prerequisite part of the training. I know. I know. I tell the story of how I got in trouble with the police chief because uh, with time, I, uh, you know, like we talked about the Commodore 64 and Vic 20 and um, James Van Prague, you know, the world renowned medium, uh, had opened up a website, had been on the TV and everything. Well, he opened up the first chat room that I've ever heard of. And I joined it, and the deal was fifty dollars for years for a password, good for a year, and uh, and you would also get a phone reading from James. I mean, all for fifty bucks. So I remember paying that and doing it. And um, what happened was, I had started getting so into this and giving readings to people that they were writing him letters and emails and telling James how good I was. So. He got in touch with me again and, and said, if I could give him an, an accurate reading, he would put me on his website as a practitioner, you know, to give me credibility. And I yeah. thought, well, yeah, who wouldn't want that? Right. For sure. So it came about, I gave him a reading, then I had to give his secretary a reading because, you know, you could find out things about James pretty easily if you, if you wanted to. Um, anyway, once he put me on the website... The chief called me in, you know, shortly thereafter, and then I didn't know why he wanted me, but as I walked into his office, the chief's sitting at his desk, he's got his monitor in front of him, but I could see the reflection of the screen in the window behind the chief, and I could see James's website, I could see James Van Prague's face. I went, uh-oh, I think I know, <laughs> I think I know why I'm in here. And um, Chief St. Pierre says, uh, he says, Chuck, we've got a problem. He says, what's this? And he spun the monitor around. I said, yeah. I said, I've been doing this for, you know, a couple of months now. And he says, you know, we have a problem. You're carrying a gun and you're hearing voices, oh. <laughs> which, which I totally get it, you know. But it was so cool to just, I turned my shoulder to him. I said, yeah, and look at this. We've got a witch riding a broomstick as a logo. He said, so. <laughs> I said, I think they go hand in hand. And uh, we just had to make an agreement that when I... I could do what I I could practice what I wanted on my time, but not on department time. So you know, it had to go fair. with that agreement, yeah. and it worked out fine. You know, there were no problems. Let's let's talk about your book, uh, Evidence of an Afterlife, a little bit. Uh, obviously, as a medium, you've had communication with people on the other side, so therefore you have to firmly believe there's something over there. Have you got any sense, based on your conversations, as to what it is on the other side? I do, yeah. I I know I, in meditations I've actually, I feel like I've been privy to see some of what it's like and feel what it's like, and uh, the, I've heard the music over there, which is so much cleaner than what we have. Um, the air is so much clearer, and the vision is, the colors are real brilliant. I know I've witnessed all that stuff, and yet it's kind of, you know, it's discouraging because then you come back to this, and it's like you can't prove any of the other stuff to anyone, so you don't even tell anyone. But, you know, in every every reading I do, I, I've, they don't say, they miss us over here, they wish they were part of family again and stuff like that, but they, they're not ready to come back. They don't really want to come back, all the spirits I've talked to. So what is, uh, you've described it, what it maybe feels like or looks like, but can we, with any kind of educated guess, 
determine what it is? Is it heaven? I look at it as heaven because I, I feel it's perfection. I feel it's almost like what you have when you're in a dream. You know, I've had dreams. You don't get mosquito bites in dreams. You don't get, you know, you don't sweat. You know, there's all these benefits, all these things that we, all these torturous things that we go through here that they don't go through at all on the other side, even almost like no gravity up there. It's a couple of times, a couple of dreams I've had where I'm up there, it's like I'm walking and kind of like moonwalking where you can just take one step and go, I don't know, half a mile or whatever, as long as you keep your feet above the ground. You just keep flowing. You And I know, I know for a fact that I've given readings where people are up here, you know, in northern Florida, um, and had, the first time it happened, it was with a gentleman. I was with his wife, where, you know, and he's coming through beautifully. And he said the daughter didn't want to come. She was afraid of it, you know, of, of the reading. And yet he, at that moment, went back down to Miami at the speed of light, is what they claim, told me what she was doing. And she was buying a, what looked like a pair of ballerina shoes at a mall in the, uh, you know, down in Miami. So I'm describing this to the wife. I said, this is what your husband's saying your daughter is doing at this very moment. The next day she calls me and she said, Chuck, I almost passed out. I go in my daughter's room and they weren't real ballerina shoes. They were ones that you tack on the wall. So mom goes in, there they, the ballerina shoes are tacked on the wall. And mom found the, uh, the receipt from the mall. And it was, she ran her credit card at the very minute that we, uh, we were talking about it, or that I was giving her information about the ballerina shoes. Wow. So you know, and, and I love evidence like that. To me, is evidence. It's like, yeah, you know, because I wouldn't know about these shoes, and and then when Mom was able to match it up and say, "Wow, twelve thirty. That's pretty much when we were, Chuck was talking about her being at the mall, her buying the shoes, and Dad, and and that's another thing. Remember the first one? The lady found me on Route ninety five with all the other traffic, right after exiting the body, like she knew where I was, and the same way with with this woman's husband. Went right down to Miami, and there's my daughter. This is what she's doing, and I'm going to go back up and report on it. And he did. So there, there's a lot of things on that idea that we don't understand about the other side. And from what they tell me, whatever you want over there, that's what you get to have. All you have to do is think about it. What was, what was the first time it happened? It was really cute. I said to the guy, I said, this isn't much, but your wife said, when you go, it's your time to go. You're going to love her new house. It's nothing but windows. And he laughed, and he said, the house they're in now is dark, and uh, she always complained about it and said, my next house is going to be all windows, all windows. And she passed away, and up there, she's got all her windows. Yeah. So it's like, you know, he can't wait to be part of that now. So based on what you've learned and your experiences, Chuck, should we fear death? I yeah, I think we still do. I think I, I don't think we fear fear death itself. But I don't think we want to leave what we have here. We've built everything up here. You know, we've gone to school. We've right. we've, we've put so much time and effort and love, and you don't really want to. It's leaving here. That's the sad part, I think. And then it's almost like pulling you out of one high school and putting you in another. It's the unknown factor. Like, what if I don't like this heaven thing? You know. Yeah. Um... Now, your which book did you write first? Was it the Afterlife book or the Psychic Cop book? Which was the first? Uh, it was. It was the Afterlife, evidence of an afterlife, 
and I did co-write that with Joseph Higgins. Uh, he had already written one book on, mm-hmm. and he and I were were in meditation class together and all of that. But when um, when the Everything Guide Publishing Company uh, contacted me, they thought I had a pretty good handle where you know Salem Mass and sure. mediumship and all of that. And I kind of talked them into letting the two of us write it together because uh, Joe Higgins was more into the scientific part of how all this stuff works. And I'm not. I don't. I'm not going to say I don't care. I do care, but I'm more impressed with how it does happen and how we can make use of it. But when it comes down to like protons and eons and stuff like that, I could care less. <laughs> I'm just into the practical stuff. When you were working on the police department and these gifts became known throughout the department, did any of the officers approach you maybe privately and say, hey, would you do a reading for me? Absolutely. Really? With the agreement that they'd get it for free and and I wouldn't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, typical cops, it's, it's, you know, we always did favors for each other anyway, you know, no matter what. If a cop had a special talent and you needed his sure. services, he'd come over and help you. No, no doubt about it. But, um, but yeah, I would have it many nights where they would come over and just see, you know, like, can you connect with my son or daughter or mom or dad or spouse? And I was even amazed at some of the stuff that I would pick up. But to me, it was a, an amazing learning experience, not like being in high school or anything else or college. It was more of a, wow, I can't believe this, every time I would learn something. Did you ever witness anybody, and maybe it's very common, I'm not, I'm not sure, but you're giving a reading and you're, and you're making connections for somebody and, and it moves them to tears? All the time. All the time. Sometimes I even tear up a bit, you know. I'm, I'm not, I, I can never get used to some of the, amazing stuff that that'll come through it is yeah it is amazing stuff and it's it can't help but be emotional i imagine very i got a cute story where uh one night i was my took my son he was much younger than he's 15 now but i know i'm an old guy to have a 15 year old but (laughs) i remember when he was like three or four years old we went to the local uh steakhouse and we're having lunch him you know it's actually dinner because we went out to the car. We were all done, and it was getting dark out. And it kind of scared me. I'm putting my son in the car seat, and this guy came out of nowhere and said, Hey, mister, hey, mister. And I turned, and, you know, was, I, like, I didn't know what was going on. And he said, I'm sitting at the table with people, and they told me what you do for a living. He said, Do you have a business card? Because I'd love to have a reading. My grandmother passed away a few months ago, and she was like a mom to me, and I truly, truly miss her. I opened my wallet. I handed him the card. And if you can imagine, J.B., you wouldn't do this because if people don't do this, I took my fingernail on my right index finger, reached up to the side of his mouth, and scratched the skin going toward the ear area, if you can imagine that happening. Okay. I said, your grandmother's here now. And I said, and I scratched it in there and said, she still feels bad about the scar you had right here as I'm scratching it. He threw his hand up, covered it, and started, there there are the tears. That's what made me think of it. And he said that when he was a little boy, he was running around the house with a fork in his mouth. And she went to, you know, 
stop him and get the fork, and he fell, Ooh. and the fork went through the side of the mouth. So for many years, he had that scar on the side of his lip. Oh, wow. Exactly where I was doing it with my fingernail. And my point is, I'm not thinking about mediumship. I'm not thinking about pleasing this guy right now or anything. I just want to put my my son in his car seat, and he's giggling. We're laughing. We're getting ready to go home. And something like that happens, and then you hear how accurate it is. You know, you've got to kind of thank the spirit world and say, you know, you really, really, really are around us. Yeah, that's that's quite amazing. And um, we have a question that's just scrolled through our chat room. Do you also connect with people's animals that have passed, or just human <laughs> human spirits? Well, yeah, they'll have to buy the uh, psychic cop because the whole the whole final chapter is some of the weird experiences I've had with different animals: horses, dogs, cats. <laughs> oh wow! And I didn't believe in that at all either. I really didn't. I thought it was a bunch of you know these pet psychics and all. I'd see them on TV and kind of laugh about it. Say, oh come on! You, you know that's a, that's an animal. You know you're not getting that. Or boy, was I wrong. <laughs> Some of the stuff I've given people. I, my favorite one, and I've told this a few times, but it's worth hearing. Where at the end of a reading, I had a mom and her two daughters, you know, in front of me, and they kind of looked a little disappointed. I said, "Wow, you know, you had your mom, your dad come through, and everyone." I said, Aren't, "You look disappointed." They said, "Well, we have a pet. We were hoping our pet would come through." And I said, well, hold on. I said, sit back down. Let's try for your pet. I said, I don't usually do animals, but if, if the pet loves you enough and wants to come through, I'll be happy to give you a message. And then just like when I was a little boy and I heard the voice, I heard the same voice say to me, he used my name, and he said, hey, Chuck, just tell them Mexican blood runs through my veins. And I went, what the hell did I just hear? <laughs> Because I'm kind of practical, too, I, and I heard it as as like being in a movie theater with the Dolby sound system or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm going, what the heck does that mean? And I looked at him, I said, I said, your pet, you didn't tell me dog, cat, fish, goldfish, horse, snake, could be anything, but was this a uh, Mexican chihuahua? And it was. <laughs> it was. So it, it kind of blew my doors off. It's like. What a what a brilliant way to put it, though. Yeah. And when I heard Mexican blood, I was thinking, oh, drug cartel, you know? Yeah, right. What's going on here? <laughs> how do you how do you accurately or confidently, maybe is the better word, distinguish between what might be your thoughts? I mean, you as a police officer, you must be pretty good at reading people anyway. Just, I mean, physically reading people. Very good point. Yes. Yeah. And how, so, how do you point. distinguish between what you're picking up as a as a as an observant person versus information you're getting from somewhere else. I'd have to say through several years of doing meditation, meditation, you learn to turn that brain off, turn it off, give it a rest. And you know what's cool about that, too? You let your brain rest, and you're waiting to hear messages. And even if you don't hear messages, as your brain starts waking up and getting back to normal, you get to filter what do you want in it. You know, do you do you want to put up with a your next-door neighbor that you're angry at? Do you want to put up with this or that, or do you want to keep that out of your brain? It's like it's like a reboot, and it's... I can't say enough for the meditation, but that's how I, I know the difference. I know when it's my thoughts, and I know when it's coming in from somewhere else. So you can just you just know. And, and I would imagine sometimes the information itself, it's not something that you could know yeah, by yourself. It has to be... Like so far out there, yeah. like... Like, you know, Mexican blood, and I'm thinking, like, 
I'm far from thinking of anything like that, you know, so, right. yeah. <laughs> now, how do the messages come to you? Is it, do you hear a voice, or is it just, is it like a sensation that you can interpret into words? Sometimes it is a voice. Sometimes it's, uh, I'll see visuals. Sometimes it's, uh, it's, it's, I call it the all-knowing, where you'll just know. You'll just know that, like, all of a sudden, I'll feel like someone blew out a candle and go, that was a birthday cake they were just blowing a candle out on. And I'll look at him and say, whose birthday was it today? And sure enough, it's a birthday, you know. I mean, there are different feelings that I'll get, and I'll know with the least little trigger to make me say a certain thing, and there it is. Wow. Um, is it, does it ever get to a point where you get messages that disturb you, bother you? On occasion, yes. And I try and leave it, leave it out of my head. I figure that was, that's their life. That's their issues. That's their thing they're going through. But as far as being, um, not from the spirit itself, as much as from the person receiving the reading, you know, there are people that'll come to you that are not really the nicest of people that... And they get angry with you because of the message you're delivering? Sometimes, yeah, I've had it happen. Wow. And I just put my hands up and say, all I can do is give you what they're giving me, and there must be a reason why they know you can handle this uh, information and hopefully do something good with it. That's the only reason they're giving it to you right now, is to try and make you a better person. So let's try and work with it. Do you think everybody has some level of this ability within them, even if they don't recognize it? I do, and I think that you hit the nail on the head with the police. They, uh, I would hear it all the time where they'll, they'll stop a car. There could be four people in the car. They'll know which person they want to run for warrants or check them for weapons or, or have them get up just so they can check under their, their seat and no one else's. It's like they have these precognizant feelings and act on them. And I don't think they realize that, that what they're doing sometimes. I mean, some would call that some would call that a gut feeling, but it's probably more than that, isn't it? It is more than that. But I do think everyone does. Everyone has the ability to um, to do this stuff. It's just how how aggressively are you going to pursue it? Do you have it's to like learn? Like learn you and I learning basic. It's like how yeah. how much do you want to learn? Yeah, by the time I mastered basic, the the languages started to change, and I was not going to learn another one. I said, to heck with that. Same here. Same thing happened. I said, forget it. Someone else do it. (laughs) I'm done with this. Uh, Do you ever use any tools uh, in in this line of work? And, you know, there aren't many, but, you know, like a a spirit board, a Ouija board, or anything like that? No, and I, you know, some people come down on me because of my feeling about the Ouija board, but don't forget, I, you know, I lived in Salem, Massachusetts. Parker Brothers was right down the street on Bridge Street. Uh, sometimes I'd have to go in there because it would be an argument or a theft or whatever, and I'm looking at the conveyor belt where they're stamping out Ouija boards. You know, it's like, to me, it's a toy. It's a, And I understand the, you know, the people. I think it goes back to that movie, what was it, 13 Ghosts, years ago, where yeah. the, the plachette goes up in the air and points to the people and, I think it charges one of the guys or whatever, you know. I mean, I, I think Hollywood has done that to us. To me, I just don't see it as evil. I really don't. I think, not, I think the that board it, that's evil is the people using it that I, could be evil. That, that's exactly what I was going to say. I think anything can be used correctly. Yeah. It can also be used in, incorrectly or inappropriately. Yes. Uh, so I think you're right there. Um, when you do readings for groups... Do, do messages just come flying at you? Say you've got ten people in the room, you've got and you've got deceased loved ones or whatever on the other side, all trying to reach those people. I mean, how do you sort that out? 
it's weird. It's almost like they say the magnet pulling, like, uh, and for me, it's how I do with the first one or two people that make me feel whether I'll be successful that night or not. And uh, just a quick example, I, uh, I had a room full, uh, it was about four weeks ago, uh, and I, I lady I'd never seen her before in my life. And I said, hey, I want to come to you first. Could you stand up? I said, your mom is here. I said, and something about I'm seeing Tarzan, Jane, Boy, and the chimp. I said, but I don't care about the chimp. I don't care about Boy. I don't care about Jane. And Tarzan has to be Johnny Weissmiller, that Tarzan. Why am I getting his name included with the word Tarzan? Well, Mom used to live in California, and she dated Johnny Weissmiller. Oh, wow. <laughs> I went, uh, that would work. <laughs> but see what I mean? It's like those yeah. are things you can't just no, you pull can't, out of thin air. No, you're not going to guess that. That's not something no. that you can just <laughs> not guess. Not in a million years. <laughs> yeah. In fact, she was shocked. She was like, how did this guy know this? Wow. Oh, and for the person listening with the animal, uh, because that same night, at the end of the night, someone brought up the same question. She said, uh, Chuck, can you do animals? I said, well, none have really come in tonight, or I would have told the people, you know, your dog or cat or whatever is here. I said, but since you're asking, there's a dog for you on the other side. Now, I didn't know if she had dog, cat, horse, or whatever. I said, there's a dog on the other side for you. And he's really happy now, because now he's running around with his dog tags on again. And I thought, you know, that's kind of, why would you need him on the other side? What happened was, the dog was cremated that very day, earlier that day, they received the uh, the urn with the ashes. The wife put the urn up on the uh, the mantle, and this is before they had plans to go see me at the uh, the event. And the husband was in the bedroom and found the dog tags, and went in the living room and draped it over the oh, urn, wow. <laughs> the dog tags for that particular dog. So it was very relevant that the dog speak about the dog tags that he's now wearing. Wow. So even those, I mean, those are things you can't even make up, really. You know, it's Yeah, like, no, you can't. You can't make those things up. We're, we're running out of time, Chuck. Um, one other question I had for you, though, is that, and I, this kind of ties to one I asked just a minute ago. Uh, if you get a bad message from someone and you're, and you're doing a reading for somebody, do you deliver that message or do you withhold that stuff? Because it might... I mean, sometimes those things make people do crazy things, too, you know? Yeah, I've never had one so severe that I would not give it to them, but you have to be very tactful in how you yeah. present it mm -hmm. and let them know, listen, there's a chance they're showing me this one way, but it really has another meaning. So I want you to think about it carefully, and then I'll slowly walk them into it. And it's amazing how every time they'll, they'll agree, they'll say, yeah, I know, I needed that. I needed to hear that. And it makes you feel like, wow, if I didn't do it, and I, and I trust everything they give me upstairs. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's like a playwright that they've already written out before we even get together to do a reading. They already know what they want to talk about. And it's, you know, I, I trust that their decision-making up there is going to be accurate, and they know about the person that I'm reading, so... You know, I do trust it. Well, um, your work is is quite exceptional, Chuck. And uh, you know, thank you for being here tonight. Once again, let people know where. First of all, they can contact you if they want to have some kind of private session. Where they can get the books. You know, all the all the important information. 
Yeah, okay, most of it's on my website. I have a regular, uh, you know, i got the Facebook thing, but you're better off going to chuckbergman.com, or you can just put in the Psychic Cop, and it'll take you to that same website. And then I've got several testimonials. I've got a couple of uh, really good videos on there, including one where I was on a, on a radio show similar to this one, and a gentleman called in, and I didn't know it, but his son had died in the uh, Benghazi uh, oh, wow. ordeal over there, and mm. I didn't know it yet. I started describing everything that he went through and what it was like, but I had no idea when this guy called in that it was his son who was one of those people murdered, you know, in, yeah. in Gazi. So, you yeah. know, those, I've got a few videos like that, and, uh, you know, just give you an idea what what the work is all about. Well, again, thanks for being here with us tonight. Um, be safe. Florida's a bit of a, a troubled spot right now with this virus, isn't it? Very much so, especially yeah. for the elderly. And unfortunately, I fit in that group. Mm. And uh, I got to admit, I'm a little concerned, but I do. I do stay home a lot, and I've cut all of the uh, group activity out. I'm going to let all this stuff blow over, you know, before I get active again. Have but to. I still do phone readings. And I'll even do Skype readings and stuff like that. And other, you know, I have to keep it quiet right now. Yeah, yeah, no, that's understandable. And and the, basically, the whole country's got to do that. <laughs> it, it's, it's, I've never seen anything like this. It's so, really unbelievable. So quickly, yeah. so quickly happening, and you know, you do. You just have to protect yourself. Yep, protect yourself and your families. Anyway, Chuck, yeah. again, thanks for being here tonight. I look forward to having you back on the show. It was a real pleasure. Love it. I love meeting you, JV. It was great. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.